On this week's episode of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast, we'll be talking a lot about the Bruins and their trade deadline additions, and also the departure of Anders Bjork and what that means for the future of the Bruins. Uh, We will also get to the Bruins maybe appearing to get a little bit more healthy Um, as we wind down the season. We'll also take a look at the uh, Bruins schedule the rest of the way um, and what that can look like, and they pick up some points. Um, We'll also take a look at some news and notes from around the NHL. Uh, We will get to the Celtics. They have a winning streak going, and it looks like it's coming at a really good time. Uh, We'll take a look at the standings and where they are. Uh, We'll also take a look at Evan Fournier and what um, his possible return means for the Celtics. Um, And, you know, possibly with this winning streak, does this change any expectations? Uh, We'll also take a look at Jason Tatum as well and his kind of wild week. Um, And we'll also take a look at some news and notes from around the rest of the NBA. Uh, We will get to the Red Sox and their unbelievable winning streak of nine straight wins. We'll uh, break down for you what exactly is going right for the team, who's playing well, who's pitching well, who's hitting well, all that. Um, And we'll also talk about the Red Sox and their expectations and whether their expectations uh, should be changing. Uh, We'll also take a look at their upcoming schedule as they come home for a 10-game homestand. And we'll also take a look at some news and notes from around Major League Baseball. We'll get to the Patriots and talk about Julian Edelman's retirement um, and you know where his place is in Patriots history and in NFL history. Uh, we'll also take a look at the Patriots, possibly looking at some wide receivers in the draft and uh, what that new direction at wide receiver possibly looks like. We'll also take a, take a look at some news and notes from around the NFL. Um, and then we will also get to the revolution do a little bit of a season preview as their season starts on saturday we'll talk a bit about the wnba their season is back in about a month Um, and we'll also talk about some pro lacrosse and umass hockey winning the national title so let's go What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Garrett Hayden. You can follow us on Twitter at Not Boston. You can follow the Facebook page, Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. And you can listen on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. And uh, we have a lot to get to today. This is uh, almost an unprecedented amount of stuff to get to it's unbelievable you know i think that this time as a sports fan and just you know a Boston sports fan it's a great time to be a fan there just is so much going on um so first we're going to launch into the bruins uh talk about the deadline um and yeah we'll just get right into it um so bruins uh last we spoke you know i think that we um recorded a show on friday 
Uh, the Bruins still you know, hadn't made any moves. You know, really the biggest move um, was Kyle Palmieri, and we had talked about that. Um, but, you know, it was an interesting, interesting, you know, about, you know, 72 hours or four, or whatever it was. So the Bruins, you know, have a pair of weekend games. Um, Philadelphia. Um, and, you know, it was a game that, Jeremy Swayman played, you know, played all right. Bruins lose three to two. Um, and then, you know, the injury bug hits like crazy. The Bruins have to throw in um, Jack Ashan and a number of different guys into situations that they really couldn't handle. And the Bruins get spanked by the Capitals eight to one. And it kind of was like, I was, you know, disappointed. I was kind of, and a lot of people probably were at a crossroads with this team. And I know that, you know, losing a game to the Washington Capitals in which you're missing four of your usual defensemen and you lose eight to one, you know, I think you have to understand the context of Bruins were without a number of guys, but losing eight to one to a team that, you know, you're trying to measure yourself against was pretty demoralizing, you know, and that was Sunday night and that was the night of the trade deadline. And, um, you know, not really sure what a lot of people were expecting. Um, but First, the news, Bruins trade a third-round pick in 2022 um, and bring in Mike Riley from the Ottawa Senators. So uh, Mike Riley was a player that I had talked about um, a few days prior um, as, a, as a possible addition, and the Bruins pulled the trigger. And um, I think that it was a really smart trade, a good move, doesn't cost you a lot. You know, Mike Riley is a guy who, um, you know, is still fairly young, 27, is a really good, solid understanding of offensive hockey and, you know, what it takes to be a good impact player as a defenseman. Um, and you saw that in his first game on Tuesday night where he's throwing shots at the net. You know, all the Bruins defensemen put shots on net. Jared Tenorti had like five or six shots on goal. But Mike Riley really is a guy who can drive offense, can give you another player that can do that other than McAvoy and Grizzlick. Um you know, he's throwing shots at the net from every angle. And I think it kind of rubbed off on everyone else. So I thought that that was an outstanding addition, you know. And then the big one, Bruins get Taylor Hall on, you know, midnight or maybe a little bit after, you know, trade becomes official on Monday, you know, before the trade deadline. So Don Sweeney acts and, um, you know, makes a move for, for Taylor Hall and brings in Curtis Lazar who's, you know, not half bad either. You know, if you want to read a little bit more in depth about the trade, um, I did write an article earlier this week um, after the trade on Garrett Hayden Sports Media, so you can go read that. Um, posted it um, on my personal uh, Facebook or personal Twitter account and then pinned it to the profile. So if you guys want to go read that, feel free. Um, I think that it's it, it's a great move to get Taylor Hall. You know, I think that... I did not expect that the Bruins were not going to have to trade Jake DeBrusque or a first-round pick. You know, Bruins trade a second-round pick, trade and Anders Bjork, and I think that there were some people that were a little upset to see Anders go, but, you know, I think that if you look at it from this point of view, you know, Bjork was not even a guy who was playing, you know, in the last five, six, seven games, whatever it was. You know, he's a guy that wasn't even in the lineup, you know, and you're trading a guy who wasn't even cracking your lineup and a second round pick and you get Taylor Hall, who's, you know, a potential player that gives you not only another scorer, 
but gives you another guy who can set up other players and, you know, is also a fantastic driver of offense as a forward. And, you know, bringing in a guy with that skill set and that pedigree, you know, guy won MVP a number of years ago, um, almost seemed unfair that the Bruins did not have to offer up, you know, too much. And then they get a guy like Curtis Lazar, who, you know, if you watched him Tuesday night, you know, made an immediate impact, made that fourth line play better than, I've seen them play all season long. You know, it was unbelievable. They were making plays. You know, Hall, I think, is going to take a little bit for him to get into the swing of things. But, you know, the way that he, the way that he was skating, the way that he was moving, you know, especially when they tried him on that second power play and, you know, he does that play where he curls off the half wall um, and comes in into, like, a shooting position. It just is, like, it's just so awesome that the Bruins have another guy who they can use on the power play and use as an absolute weapon. Um, And I know that the power play has been struggling recently, but getting a guy like Hall and getting a guy like Mike Riley in there, you know, I think it's really going to help kind of kickstart them um, offensively. So love the trades. You know, they were reasonable trades, not trades that you had to give away a lot. Um, And they're all three guys that are going to be free agents. But, you know, I think that there's a reasonable expectation that, the Bruins should be able to re-sign all three of them. You know, it'll be interesting to see how that works with um, the expansion draft, but I believe that the expansion draft is before free agency. So, you know, in theory, you know, Seattle could pick Taylor Hall, but, you know, then they'd have to sign him, and, you know, that's probably not something that they're going to do. But just love the signings, you know, and I think it is what it is for Anders Bjork and, I think it's unfortunate, you know, I think that he just kind of got squeezed out here. Um, and I thought that the the minutes that he played and the amount that he played, it just didn't feel like he consistently was, you know, playing at a high level, you know. And yes, there were moments where he was able to use his speed and be able to use his forechecking ability. But, you know, at the end of the day, he just really wasn't making too much of a difference. And that's why he didn't play. And you know, I think it's it's fair that some people are a little bit upset, but it's like you got Taylor Hall. You know, there's really, you can't complain about that. Um, I'm not really going to speak on whether people think that Taylor Hall is, you know, a bad teammate or, you know, a chronic underachiever. I really don't want to talk about that because it's kind of made up in my opinion. You know, I think it's fair that him playing in Buffalo, he's probably maybe not the most confident player, but... You know, who would be playing in a situation like that? Um, But I just think coming to the Bruins, coming to a team that's going to compete, and coming into a room where it's one of the most respected rooms in in, in hockey, and you have, you know, a core that, okay, it's a little bit of a different core. You know, Chara's not here. Krug's not here. But you still have Bergeron. You still have Marchand. You still have David Krejci. You still have guys who lead by example and, you know, really do a great, wonderful job of leading this team. And... You know, you're also bringing Taylor Hall into a team where he's not expected to be, you know, the number one player. He's not even supposed to be the third best player. Like, honestly, he's on your team to be, what, your fourth best player after your top line? And it's like, you know, you're asking a former MVP to be your fourth best player. Like, I don't know about you, but that's pretty good. So, you know, I think that it's fair to be a little upset that they traded Bjork, but it's like the Bruins got one of... Got a really, really good hockey player. Um, so really excited to see what he can do down the stretch. And I really just think he's going to be 
a guy who I think is going to catch his second wind and is going to start performing and really makes this Bruins team a very dangerous team. Um, and a very dangerous team that they get healthy, look out. You know, and they're already getting some guys back. Um, it was good to see Charlie McAvoy back uh, the other night. You know, looked as good as he always does. Um, you know, did not miss a beat. You know, just out there being an outstanding skater and just just, just so good. Just so good at what he does. Um, and Tuka Rask will be back tonight, which will be huge. Um, he had been sitting out for a little bit with uh, a back injury, but... I just got to say, Jeremy Swayman and Dan Vladar did an unbelievable job, you know, holding things up while Rask was out. You know, I think that the two of them are awesome, especially Swayman. And, you know, considering what Jeremy has had to go through um, in the past week, you know, it's kind of remarkable. Um, Jeremy had sadly lost his college coach, um, Red Gendron. Um, earlier this uh, last weekend and um, Jeremy played he played on Saturday you know after learning the news and um, did play again on Tuesday and it just was it was really just amazing to see you know that he was able to play with a heavy heart and you know do it for red and um, it just was like this kid is something special you know it's a really special type of athlete to be able to go out and perform like that, um, you know, with such a heavy heart. But um, I just think that he and Vladar were awesome. You know, very well, they could have been bad, you know, and they could have stunk, you know, and the Bruins really could have gotten screwed by bad goaltending, and the Bruins really could be in a far more dangerous spot than they are now. You know, I think Swayman was great in some of the games that he played. Um, and so I think getting to Rask back is huge. Um, and getting some guys back to health. Um, you know, speaking of health, the Bruins did announce that Kevin Miller will miss today, tonight's game um, against the Islanders. Unrelated issue to um, his knee, but I don't know. Miller played pretty well in the last couple of games. Had a couple of big, had a, had a couple of fights that were uh, pretty entertaining. So um, good to see him back in the lineup. You know, hopefully this new issue isn't something that's going to keep him out for a while. Um, so, you know, it'd be interesting to see when the Bruins can get Matt Grizzlick back. There's not really been much word about him. Um, really none from Brandon Carlo. So, um, you know, Grizzlick obviously is not on injured reserve. So that at least tells you that, you know, whatever he's dealing with is not anything serious. You know, really not sure about Carlo because, you know, did have the concussion, um, then played one game and then got another injury it's not another concussion I don't believe I think it's an unrelated um, injury but you know watching this team on Tuesday night you know after the new additions and I know that they were playing Buffalo Buffalo's one of the if not the worst team in the league you know and they looked like they had some good pep in their step um, but I think you know getting some new blood some new some reinforcements, you know, I really think are going to help this team. Um, and if this team gets back to full health, you know, it's this team's going to be dangerous. This is going to be a team that, you know, could beat you with multiple lines, play really good defense, you know, and have a well-rested goaltender. You know, that's the other part of this Rask thing. Yes, he's been out for a while, but it's like you get him some, you know, reps in the coming weeks and you get him fresh come playoff time, 
Uh, I don't want to play this team. I'll tell you that much. You know, even if they're not at perfect health and you have a good rested goalie like Rask, look out because, you know, you know what he did two years ago. Uh, brought this team to within a win at the Stanley Cup. So, uh, you know, we'll see. But I think it's it's good to see the Bruins bring in some reinforcements. And I think that it's not anything crazy. You know, I think that there are a lot of people that were like, okay, you know, don't do any crazy trades. Um, I mean, bringing in a player like Taylor Hall is pretty crazy because he's a really big-time talent. Um, but the Bruins really didn't give up much. You know, you didn't even give up a first-round pick. And, you know, you give up a player who really hadn't even been in the lineup. So you're not really losing much. So, um, but again, you want to read more about the trades, you can check out my um, article. Um, so take a look at the Bruins and their upcoming schedule. I think it makes sense to take a look at that. So the Bruins um, still in the midst of a five-game homestand. First game was that loss to Washington, but then the Bruins... Get the shootout win against Buffalo um, on Tuesday night. Jake DeBrusque, Charlie Coyle with a couple goals. Now, last little thing I'll say about the shootout. Um, I know that everyone on Twitter gets angry when Patrice Bergeron doesn't shoot. Um, but I'll tell you, like, Charlie Coyle's a pretty good guy in the shootout. He did score on Tuesday and, you know, has a career percentage of about 33%, which is pretty good. You know, I think that that's why the Bruins put him out there because he has a good uh, career percentage. Now, you know, DeBrusque, he's not perfect every time, but, you know, when when he figures it out in the shootout, he figures it out, and that was a beautiful goal um, on Tuesday to win it. Um, so the Bruins welcome in the New York Islanders for two games uh, tonight and Friday, and I'm going to tell you that um, these next three games, two against Washington, or uh, two against the Islanders, one against Washington on Sunday, um, is really going to tell you, I think, where this team is at um, after these trades, you know, I know it's not totally fair because maybe they're not going to have a full, a totally fully healthy lineup, but I think it's really going to be interesting, um, to see how the Bruins are going to stack up against two of the teams that, you know, they're going to be competing with, um, in the next few weeks as they kind of jock eye for playoff position, um, and possibly teams that the Bruins could play in the first round, um, of the playoffs or perhaps the second round. So, Bruins with two against the Islanders, and then they got the Capitals on Sunday, and then the Bruins play Buffalo three times next week, uh, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. The Bruins will play Buffalo uh, four more times before the month is over. Bruins will also play Pittsburgh twice at the end of the month. So the Bruins, you know, really in a stretch of a lot of games. So um, I think it's good that, you know, the Bruins can get Jukarask back um, because I think that while he's been out for a while, you know, it kind of gives you an opportunity that he can, um, you know, get some reps in, you know, that you're not going to need to necessarily rest him. And so that's what I mean when I mean that you could get to Garask at a really good, you know, healthy kind of fresh standpoint um, because he's been out. And so you can give him these reps to kind of get him back into the swing of things, you know, and then hopefully he's at playing at his best by the time the regular season's over and the playoffs start. Um, because I got to tell you, if the Bruins do end up playing the Islanders or the Washington Capitals, you know, they're going to need two graphs to be their goalie and be their, you know, number one guy and playing at a high level. Because I think that if they don't get, you know, great goaltending in that first round series, good chance that they go home.
Um, so I think taking a look around the NHL makes sense as take a look at the standings. Um, some other, you know, injury news. The Sabres had announced that uh, Jack Eichel will not play again this season. Uh, the Stars um, announced that Alex Radulov and Ben Bishop will not be back. Um, Bishop, I don't think, has played at all this season. Um, and I think Radulov had been injured for a little bit, but both of them uh, won't be back. Um, the Capitals signing Connor Sheary to a two-year extension. So that was... You know, not super surprising. You know, he's been really, really effective for them. Um, obviously, we talked about uh, Tukarask. You know, it sounds like the Vancouver Canucks are going to get back to playing on Friday. But, you know, I think you, you'd be living under a rock in the hockey community if you're not paying attention to, you know, everything that's going on with the organization. And, you know, some of the comments that JT Miller made yesterday that, you know, it's pretty dangerous i think what the nhl is asking the canucks to do you know because of the shutdown you know and because of their kind of rescheduled schedule they have to get all these games in and it's just i think looking at what they actually have to do and if you look at that revised schedule i just don't think it's physically possible to play i think what it is it's scheduled to be 19 games in 31 days which is preposterous you know that's more than, you know, that's not even an average of one day off. You know, it's it's not possible uh, to play that many games, you know. Maybe you could play that if you were, you know, younger, but it's like this is not a sport that you can afford to, you know, play that many games in a row because the injury risk is preposterous. And mind you, some of these guys have had COVID, you know, and have had pretty serious symptoms, and it's just like, Asking them to play so quickly and asking them to play a lot of games is just insane. So um, I really don't know if they'll be able to play 56 games. I know that that's all the league wants is they all just want the teams just to play 56 games. They don't really care how it's done. Um, But it's like it's pretty clear that this isn't safe. Um, They're supposed to get back to play uh, tomorrow, but I really honestly have no idea what's going to happen with them. you know, it was pretty obvious that, you know, for them being out this long and then the schedule having to be changed is just, it just, it shouldn't be, they shouldn't be having to play 56 games, you know. And I know that chances are they're probably not making the playoffs, so it probably doesn't really matter. But, you know, the NHL, you know, it's like they don't exactly care a whole lot about player safety. You know, I think that they claim that they do, but I don't really think they do. So um, that's kind of the only other NHL news before we look at the standings. Um, looks like Colorado, you know, is you know running away with kind of the number one overall seed um, in their like the President's Trophy race. I know that you know there are a couple teams that are close, but the way that they're playing is just absolutely insane. They have. 17 wins in their last 20 games. They have earned points in 19 of their last 20. Um, And they have 30 wins right now. Um, And they are just playing at a ridiculously high level. Um, You have Nathan McKinnon, Miko Rontanen, just absolutely destroying the league right now. So Colorado playing at an unbelievable level, nine, nine wins in their last 10. They've won four straight. And, you know, quietly... Vegas has had a really good stretch, too. 
you know, they've won four straight. They've won six, six of their last ten, and they're four points back at Colorado. And it's like, in a, in a normal division, Vegas would be on top and would probably be in control um, in the West. But Colorado's playing at an unbelievable level, and they're leaving Minnesota um, and St. Louis in their wake, Arizona as well. Um, so things could get very interesting, I think, in the other West standings. Um, St. Louis, which kind of looked like they were definitely going to be a playoff team, you know, now are really in a tough situation as there's the point ahead of Arizona. Um, they do have two games in hand in Arizona, so that is kind of important. Um, San Jose is back in sixth. You know, they had been playing pretty well recently, but they lost uh, three, states, three straight games, so they're a little bit back in the West. Um, in the East, you have Washington atop the East, so the Bruins will play the second-place Islanders in the first-place Capitals this weekend. Um, Pittsburgh in third with 56 points, Islanders with 58, and then the Bruins with 50. Uh, still, you know, fairly holding Philadelphia and the Rangers at bay. Um, the Bruins still have two games in hand on both the Rangers and the Flyers, um, even though the Rangers are four points back of the Bruins, so... You know, should be interesting to watch, I think. Uh, Pittsburgh's playing at a really, really good high level right now. Um, I think that very real possibility that that East, you know, for that top spot, really could go to either one of those three teams. Um, I don't think it's going to happen for the Bruins. You know, I think maybe it was possible a couple of games ago, but they, you know, obviously had lost some games. So it doesn't look like the Bruins really are going to be in play for anything other than maybe that four spot, you know, maybe unless one of these teams goes through a cold stretch, it doesn't really look like that's going to happen, but I guess it's possible, but it looks like the Bruins still are, you know, fairly well holding off the Rangers and Flyers, but you know, they got to keep playing at this good level so they can hold those teams off. In the North, you have Toronto atop the North with 60 points. They're, um, have a little bit, a little bit more wiggle room over Winnipeg and Edmonton than they did maybe a couple of weeks ago, um, and then you have Montreal in that four spot, even though they have been struggling recently. Um, the Flames, I believe, just beat them in a two-game set, if I'm not mistaken. So it seems like. You know, they are maybe getting closer to Montreal, but kind of the key there is Montreal has three games in hand, so um, doesn't seem, you know, super likely that Montreal will miss the playoffs you know I just think that Calgary probably is not going to be able to catch them just with the games in hand but I guess anything's possible because I think that uh, it might be worth mentioning just in the north you know based on whether whether Vancouver can finish the season um, you know it might it might affect some of the games played in the north um, so that might be something to keep in mind in the next few weeks, you know, if the NHL announces that, okay, they're just going to have Vancouver play up to like, let's say 48 games, 
you know, let's say they say to Vancouver, okay, you guys don't have to play 56, but you have to play like 48 or something. Um, And that could affect other teams in the division because then that would mean, okay, there's fewer games to play, um, which actually probably would go to Montreal's advantage. But um, that's just something to kind of keep your eye on. Um, In the Central, like I've been saying it all season, uh, this Central division is a lot of fun. You know, you have Carolina, Tampa Bay, and Florida that are all, you know, have all been very good and very consistent all season long. And then you got Nashville, who's playing really, really well, you know, played themselves into not being sellers at the trade deadline, which is crazy because like three weeks ago, you're talking about, oh, what could a Bruins package for uh, Matthias Ekholm look like, you know, and they're obviously not going to trade him because they're playing really well. Um, and, you know, really looks like they're doing a fine job of holding off uh, Chicago and Dallas, you know, and then a team like Columbus has played themselves out of a playoff spot um, in the last couple of weeks. So things are not looking great for Columbus. I'd be very surprised if Tortorella can keep his job um, through the rest of the season. Um, I actually think that there's a very good chance he could be fired in the middle of the season, but, you know, if the season's almost over, I guess I would doubt to see that happen. Um, but it is interesting as we are kind of getting towards the end of the season. Bruins with only uh, 16 games left to go. So things are looking pretty good for them in the standings. But I think that, you know, they have to keep playing decently well so they can keep off uh, the Rangers. So Bruins with a two-game set against the Islanders tonight and Friday. So looks like Tukarask is getting the start for the Bruins tonight. So, yeah, enjoy the enjoy the game. So... Um, I think that we will move from hockey, we'll move to the NBA with the uh, Celtics. You know, seems like they're playing well. Um, I've won four straight games for the first time since uh, right before the All-Star break, and so things are kind of looking up for the Celtics right now. They've uh, started a West Coast trip, and they've won the first two games in the West Coast trip. Um, Did have the Timberwolves last week, which was a game that was uh, just absurd. You know, the game that you know everyone was talking about, you know, that the Celtics kind of just looked disinterested for most of the first half of the Timberwolves game. You know, and then they are in control in the fourth quarter. They let the lead slip away. They have to go to overtime and then, you know, knock off the Timberwolves. And then meanwhile, you know, Jason Tatum, 53 points, you know, putting on a unbelievable display, you know, and showing everyone that, yeah, he is the, the superstar that the, um, I, I don't even want to say the future because he's a superstar right now, um, but was amazing in that game. Um, but obviously it's the Minnesota Timberwolves, you know, it was one of the worst teams in the league and people are like, okay, you know, you, you, you know, put out, wins against the Knicks and the Timberwolves, you know, not exactly world beaters. You know, the Knicks are a team that probably will challenge for a playoff spot. There's probably a good chance that they make the playoffs. Um, But the Timberwolves are bad, you know, and it just was like, okay, you've won two games, but, you know, here you go on this West Coast road trip against three good teams, you know. Nuggets obviously were missing uh, Jamal Murray on that Sunday afternoon, and then um, he comes back and returns 
the following night and then tears his ACL. So he's unfortunately done for the season. Uh, it's a really tough blow for the Nuggets. Um, but the Celtics come into that game, have a bad start, you know, like they kind of have been accustomed to to doing, you know, really not being able to start games well. Um, and you're just like, okay, here we go. Here's another game that they're going to get behind big. They'll make a big fourth quarter comeback, and they'll come up short. Um, and, you know, really didn't look great for the Celtics. Down by 14 midway through the third quarter. And then the craziest thing happened. The Celtics go on one of the most, like, preposterous runs I've ever seen in an NBA game. The Celtics go on a 31-3 to run. 31-3. to I thought that that was, like, not real. I thought that that was, like, a misprint. Um, 31-3, to Celtics take control, you know, really dominate from that point, from that point on um, and beat the Nuggets by 18, you know, and really crush their spirit. You know, if you paid attention, you know, Jokic is not in the huddle, you know, kind of. I can't remember at what point it was in the game, but they're, you know, huddling. The Celtics are on their run, and he's, you know, the only guy sitting on the bench. So Celtics get that win, and then they make some big plays in the clutch uh, to beat the Trailblazers by a point um, the other night. And dare I say it, maybe this team is on to something. You know, maybe they are on to something. They play the Lakers tonight in L.A., to finish off the road trip, obviously LA is without Anthony Davis and LeBron James. Celtics have a tremendous opportunity uh, to win five straight games for maybe the first time this season. Um, you know, against the Lakers team that's reeling without LeBron and Anthony Davis, they're uh, six and eight since LeBron went out. So, you know, it, it's hard because the Celtics have kind of lulled you into thinking that they're fine. You know, and lulls you into thinking that they've figured it out. And this has happened a couple times this year, you know, after the trade deadline or uh, before the All-Star break. They rip off four straight wins and you're like, okay, maybe it just was a bad first half and they'll figure it out. And they kind of didn't, you know, they come back with, you know, trying to look at some other games, you know, beating the Bucks and the Thunder on the road. You know, and then coming home and having two disappointing losses uh, to Dallas and the Pelicans. And then the Celtics, you know, win two games on a weekend a couple of weeks ago, you know, and then drop a game to the Sixers. But, you know, it's interesting. You know, ever since that Mavericks loss, the Celtics have won six of seven, you know, and have kind of vaulted themselves into a decent spot in the Eastern Conference. You know, they're now in fifth place. And... You know, I've said this to so many people. If all they could do is just get on a run, you know, they might put themselves in good position in the standings and not be in seventh and potentially have to play in the play-in tournament, which is, you know, something that some people are starting to get a little irritated with that the NBA is doing this, which I get it because I think it was a fun thing that you tried last year, you know, and it kind of made sense that, okay, you know, let's make the bubble interesting Let's do something that we've never done before. I don't really understand why they're doing that this season. It kind of doesn't really make sense um, because it's basically, you know, how it works is the seven seed will play the eight seed. You know, the winner gets the seven seed, you know, the nine and the 10 seed play, and then the winner plays the loser of the seven, eight game. So in theory, a team could finish the season in seventh place. They could lose a game to the eighth, eighth place team. 
then they could lose another game to the ninth or the 10th seed and their season could be over. And I just think that, I don't know, you know, it's just, it, it's a fun idea, but it's like, I think it's a little out of hand, but you know, the Celtics could possibly be in play for that, you know, if they don't continue this run of good play. Um, but I think it's good that they're winning games because they are now possibly, dare I say it, peaking at the right time, you know, and it's kind of crazy that they've played this well with, you know, Fournier going out. It seemed like he had really kind of figured things out um, at, in the Hornets game when he knocked down nine, ten threes, whatever it was. Um, or actually, no, it was like he knocked, he hit ten threes in a row, I think, between two games. Um, but I think he had made like seven maybe in that game um, or whatever it was. I might be remembering wrong. Um, but then having to be on the COVID list and um, he has missed the last couple of games and you're thinking, okay, you know, great. Here are the Celtics that, you know, finally get Romeo Langford into the lineup. They finally get Tristan Thompson back in. And great, here we go, another person on the COVID list. So um, hopefully Fournier can come back when the Celtics return to Boston. Um, they will return to Boston Saturday night when they play the Warriors. Um, so, you know, hopefully he can be available soon. You know, I don't know if he'll be available for that game necessarily, um, but it should be interesting. So, again, you know, if the Celtics can continue this, can they continue to make plays down the stretch? Can they continue to, you know, play some really good defense? Can Jason Tatum continue to play at a ridiculous level i mean 53 points against timberwolves that winning shot that you know de facto winning shot against the trailblazers i know they technically were up a point so it wasn't exactly like a game winning shot but still i mean he just makes plays like that late in the game look so easy and it's unbelievable so you have a guy who is playing at an unbelievable level but you know clearly is still dealing with COVID side effects. Um, there was news that came out this week that he is now having to use an inhaler uh, before games to combat after effects. And it's just yet another example of you have to take this seriously. You know, it's affecting everyone. It's affecting athletes. It's perfecting or it's affecting guys that are at peak physical, physical form. You know, like it's insane. Jason Tatum has never used an inhaler before, and now he's having to do it. And it's just like, it's just, it's crazy. It's just, I still think that there are a lot of people out there that still don't get this and don't get that this is dangerous, that this is something that can affect people and can affect even people that are super healthy. You know, it blows my mind that there's still people like that. You know, I don't really want to go into it, but you know, it just, it, it's scary. It's scary that Jason is dealing with this, you know, and hopefully he can feel better where he doesn't have to use it. But it's just like, it's real. Like, it's real. It affects people. You know, it affects athletes in tip-top shape. You know, it doesn't just affect elderly people. It doesn't just affect people with underlying conditions. You know, it affects everyone. So, um it's been a crazy week for Jason, but glad that, you know, he has gotten past it, you know, that he is, you know, obviously doesn't have the, the virus anymore, but, you know, hopefully he can kind of get back to 100%, but 
I just got to tell you that scared me. You know, that report really scared me. Um, so looking at the Celtics and kind of the rest of their schedule uh, before we take a look around the league. Um, so obviously finishing the West Coast road trip tonight um, in L.A. against the Lakers. So obviously, again, it's a game against the Lakers. You know, and anytime it's a game against the Lakers, it's a big deal. But it's almost like who cares at this point, you know, with the Lakers being uh, without LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And it's just like, oh, okay. Um, a, a Celtics-Lakers game. Does it really have the same juice? No, clearly no. Um, so the Celtics finish the trip. Um, and then we'll come home for three games, uh, Golden State, Chicago, and then Phoenix. And then the Celtics will go back on the road to play Brooklyn and Charlotte. And then they also have games against Oklahoma City, Charlotte again, and then San Antonio before the regular season is over. So the Celtics will play Charlotte two more times, um, thinking about teams that are close to them in the standings. Uh, they will play Miami two more times. Um, so that will be kind of interesting as we take a look at um, the standings is, you know, teams that are close with the Celtics. Um, so Philadelphia, obviously still in first in the East. Brooklyn, just a game back. The Sixers actually beat them last night uh, to put themselves in first place. Uh, the Bucks are in third and then followed by the surprising Atlanta Hawks, who are in fourth place, and then the Celtics, who are in fifth, followed by the Knicks, Heat, and Hornets. 6, 7, and 8, and then the Pacers, the 9 seed, and then the Bulls, the 10 seed. So that matters because they will be technically playing in the uh, play-in game. So, or play-in tournament, whatever you want to call it. So it is pretty key that the Celtics do play Miami and Charlotte two more times, that they could possibly get a little bit more breathing room between, you know, from those teams. They do play the Knicks one more time, but I think that's at the very end of the season. Um, unfortunately, they do not play the Hawks, so they don't have an opportunity to play them head-to-head, but very possible, you know, with this season, how some teams have really just gone on weird stretches of bad play and good play, and the Celtics have definitely been a victim of that. Um, but possibility the Celtics really could move up to fourth place. I mean, that's really the only spot that they can move into. Um, I think that they'll be happy as long as they don't have to play in that play-in game. And it looks pretty good right now, but Celtics are only one game out of it, so it's very possible that, you know, that can change daily. Um, in the Western Conference, the Jazz still on top. Uh, the Phoenix Suns are a game and a half back of first place as they have won nine games out of ten. The Clippers have won seven straight. They're playing some really good basketball. They are in third place, just three games out of first place. Then you have Denver in fourth, the Lakers in fifth, Portland in sixth, and then Dallas and Memphis in seventh and eighth, and then you have Golden State and San Antonio, the ninth and tenth seed. So things could get pretty pretty interesting for the Denver Nuggets. You know, losing Jamal Murray, obviously that's just a catastrophic injury for a team like that. Um, and I'll just say personally, Jamal Murray is one of my favorite players to watch. Um, so that definitely, you know, was, was tough to see. Um, and a guy who had been out and kind of had been dealing with various injuries this season, and then just to come back after missing about six games and to, you know, tear your ACL just is, it just, it sucks. Um, and I think that that's just a huge blow to Denver. 
because they kind of were still working to get Aaron Gordon kind of acclimated in Denver. But, you know, now he's probably going to be asked to do a lot more than he was expected to. Um, and, you know, it'll be interesting. It'll be very interesting to see where the Lakers end up, you know, whenever LeBron and Anthony Davis comes back. I mean, obviously we know what's going to happen. The Lakers are going to end up being, you know, fourth or fifth seed, and they're still going to get to the NBA Finals. You know, but it'll be interesting to see where they are when LeBron James um, and Davis come back. Uh, take a look at the rest of the NBA. There's not a whole lot of news. I mean, there is a bunch of injury news, you know, and I think that definitely can be tied to um, the schedule that the players are playing that, you know, again, and I said this right when they, you know, revealed the schedule of playing 72 games. You don't need to play 72 games. You totally did not. I mean... I don't understand what the worst, like, like what's so bad about even playing 66 games? You know, you did that a number of years ago after the lockout. You know, you could even play something in the 50s, you know? I just, and I don't really know what the NHL could have done. You know, could they have made the schedule a little bit shorter? Could they have adopted the the lockout schedule of 48 games? You know, probably that would have been easier, but... You know, it's just, it's unfortunate because I think that this could have been prevented, that if you had a schedule that made more sense, guys wouldn't get hurt. You know, James Wiseman is going to get surgery for his meniscus. Obviously, you have Murray. You know, LeBron James had the ankle injury a couple of weeks ago. So um, it's unfortunate, you know, and I think that the NBA is unfortunately, you know, seeing the, the ugly side of choosing to play that many games in such a you know, short period of time. Um, before we move on, I did want to talk about the Celtics and their, you know, expectations and, you know, what we should be expecting from this team, um, you know, as we go forward. But, you know, I think it, for me personally, the expectations for me haven't really changed much. You know, I think that it's great that they're playing well um, and they're playing at a high level, but they have yet to show me that they can perform at this high level consistently. You know, and if they can do it consistently, if they show that the rest of the season, very, it's a very real possibility that they could get lucky and go to the conference finals. But I just think from what I've seen this season, it's not anything that I can really say with, you know, conviction that they'll get to the Eastern Conference Finals. And I think that some people might have that expectation. I think that that's wrong because I think that they have not shown you at all this season that they can go to the Eastern Conference Final. You can't expect that they're going to do what they did last season because, you know, the landscape has changed in the Eastern Conference. You know, the Celtics are not one of the best teams. You know, you have Milwaukee, Philadelphia, and Brooklyn who have been better than them almost all season long. And I know that head-to-head, the Celtics have beaten the Bucks a few times, and they played the Sixers well um, a couple times, but they're steps below them. And I think that, for expectations, maybe they win a first-round series. You know, maybe they have a first-round series against Miami, Atlanta, you know, Charlotte, a team like that that I think they probably can beat. Um, I think that Miami's a team that you have to be wary of because, you know, they're a team that can just kind of play average, but then they can turn it on when it matters most. And so I think that they're a team that you should be wary of if the Celtics have to play them. Um but other than that, like I think the Celtics should be able to win a first-round series 
if it's not Miami. Like, I think that you can feel confident to say, okay, they would beat Atlanta in a seven-game series. They would beat Charlotte. They would most likely beat the Knicks. You know, it might be a little bit of a challenge to beat the Heat, but past that, I really don't think you can expect that the Celtics are going to get out of the second round. I think that that, for me, is my realistic expectations, that best-case scenario, they get to the second round, and they push Philly or Brooklyn to seven games. You know, But then at that point, you know, if they push them to seven games, they could win the series. But I just think you cannot go into the playoffs expecting the Celtics to go to the Eastern Conference Finals. It may happen. It's very possible. But it doesn't mean that that should be kind of your expectation that, okay, if this team doesn't get to the Conference Final, this season is a disappointment. You know, I think that the season has been a disappointment that, you know, your record's not better. But I think it's like, you are the team that you are. You are what your record says you are. And um, I think unless the Celtics really find a groove and start, you know, putting together wins, like say they extend this win streak to seven, eight games, maybe things could start to change. But, you know, it's just you've not seen this team consistently play at a level that's expe- acceptable this season. So I I think that, yes, it's exciting that they've won four straight games. Yes, it's exciting that, you know, they seem to be playing well, um, but we've seen this movie before. We've seen them string together some wins and then come back with, you know, a piss-poor performance. You know, maybe they beat the Lakers tonight, but then it's like, do they come back against the Warriors and put in a really bad defensive effort and Steph Curry scores 50 points? You know, it's like, it's it's hard to know with this team. So, again, you know, my expectation with this team is, Second round, um, I think if they lose in the first round, that's disappointing. You know, I think that that's something that would disappoint me, especially if they lost to a team like Atlanta or Charlotte, where it's like the Celtics are better than those two teams. You know, I don't care that Atlanta is ahead of them in the standings. The Celtics should have no trouble beating those teams in the in a first round series. You know, if they say lose to the Heat, you know, I don't know, kind of have to see how that series goes. You know, but if it's a seven-game series and it's a battle, you know, I don't know. You know, I think I'd have to see how the series goes. Um, but I think second round is still my expectation for the team. Um, I really don't expect that it's going to be anything more. They could surprise me. They very well could surprise me. So we're going to move on to baseball, move on to uh, the Red Sox, and they have been just killing it. You know, it's... It's unbelievable to see the turn of events with this team, you know, and I'll be honest, like some people, or unlike some people, I didn't take too much stock in losing the first three games to the Orioles. I thought that, okay, you know, it's first series of the season, you know, it's guys adjusting to pitching for the first time this season, you know, it's cold, you know, it's, it's, you know, not surprised that the offense took a little bit of time to get going because, uh, holy cow, they're dominating right now offensively. They're getting hits from everywhere in the lineup. They're getting production from everywhere in the lineup. You know, J.D. Martinez is playing at an unbelievable level. I mean, this is like this is like what more what you would expect from him, you know, most seasons. You know, hitting three seventy eight, uh, five home runs. I think it's tied for the league lead in RBIs. Um, But the thing that surprised me is you were getting production from everywhere in the lineup. You know, Verdugo is starting to hit. 
you know, you had Vasquez hitting really, really well at the start of the season. He still is. Um, and you have Dahlbeck, who had a couple of big hits the other day, um, and Renfro, who had a home run the other day. But, you know, Devers and Martinez, you know, are going to be your two best offensive players. Uh, Bogarts has not had a lot of production home runs and RBIs-wise. Um, he does have 16 hits, which is second on the team, um, and he is th- hitting 372. You know, it just is like, it's not that he's he's playing bad, because he's not. He's playing outstanding. But it's like you look at Devers, 13 RBIs, Martinez, 16, Verduga, 8. You know, you would expect Bogarts to have more than two, but that's not to say that he's not hitting because he is hitting extremely well. He's getting on base, a 426 on base percentage, um, second on the team. So it just is great. The Red Sox performing like an elite offense, and it shouldn't really surprise people because. The Red Sox did have a top five offense in the American League last year. So, you know, it's not that much of a surprise. I mean, it kind of is a surprise to me, the production that they've been able to get out of certain guys. Um, But, you know, I think most really what surprised me is the pitching, you know. And it's not anything that's setting the world on fire. You know, if you look at, you know, the innings that certain guys are throwing, you know, I think that that is what's most interesting to me that you look at the starting pitchers and a lot of them are not pitching too many innings. You know, they're pitching five innings. That's kind of just been the average. And, you know, I think that they're getting good enough solid pitching. They're not having to throw, you know, really short outings where the bullpen has to come in, but you're throwing five innings consistently. You're getting into the sixth inning. You know, it's really doing good things for your bullpen. Matt Barnes has been pitching well. Um, No one really seems to be overtaxed in that bullpen, you know, and I think that that was really the biggest thing. And I think I talked about this um, on the baseball preview uh, podcast with Eric a few weeks ago, um, is that the the bullpen just could not really get into a rhythm last year because you had no idea what you're going to get from the starters. But now you have guys consistently throwing into the sixth inning. You know, Rodriguez has looked, you know, really good in his first two starts. Evaldi's been really good in his first three. You know, Pavetta has pitched well, as has Martinez. You know, Richards had that one bad start, you know, had a decent start at second one. I think he is pitching uh, this afternoon. But it's just, it's it's unbelievable, really, what you're seeing. You know, it's kind of crazy what you're seeing from the pitching. Now, can they keep this up? You know, I think that that's a whole other question, you know, and I don't want to, and be negative, but I think that at a certain point, the pitching will start to come back down to earth. And, you know, you're might, you might start struggling. And I think that it's fair to expect that you could have some injuries coming in. Um, but a, a good start is a good start. I think it's just great that the Red Sox are not starting the season 3-8, and eight, that they have to, you know, work or put it put forth a lot of energy to get back to 500. Um, And so I think what you're seeing is a team that just, I think is just knowing what the expectations were for the team coming in and wanting to prove that wrong. And I think that Alex Cora also has a lot to prove, you know, no matter what you think about him, I think that he and some of the guys in this team are pitching or hitting are, you know, playing, with this idea that 
it's us against the world that okay whatever you guys can count us out you know you can you can bury us after an 0 and 3 start you know you can say that oh here we go again here's another bad start you know and i think that they're playing with a lot to prove and i think that that's something that is just you know i think in baseball especially you know leads you to play a lot better um when there are expectations that are not really great and it's just like expectations that you really don't know which way they're going to go and i think at that point you know it's like what do you make of this season you know what do you what do you do with expectations that you know people don't expect you to do much they don't expect to hear much from you and um the red sox are just playing great baseball and i think that it's just great to see them off to a good start now it's hard to know whether this will continue whether the red sox will continue to be in first place in the al east you know will they come back down to earth but you know the good thing is the red sox have done well against some good teams you know minnesota was a good team last year they were a good team two years ago tampa bay went to the world series and the red sox have been able to reel off you know three straight wins against minnesota they'll go for four today um, then they bring in the white sox who you know are not off to a great start but a team that i think everyone expects to be good this season so I think as far as expectations, you know, I think based on the way the team is performing, you know, sure. Can you expect that this team wins the AL East? I'm not ready to go there yet. You know, I think that it's still very early on that, but I think that maybe do you start expecting that, hey, maybe this team will be a playoff team. You know, maybe is this a team that can get into that one game playoff? Um, You know, it'll be very interesting to see. Now, yeah, I don't want to say that they'll win the AL East because I think that's maybe what a lot of positive, optimistic fans want me to say. But I think we got to kind of hold back on that a little bit. But again, it's just encouraging that they're playing great and that they're playing in a level that is just good. It's a good product and it's something that you want to watch. It's something that you are excited to watch. Um, And I think a lot of people were concerned or kind of turned off by the way that they more last year, the way that they were constructed and, you know, the concern that, oh my God, this team is unwatchable. Um, But now they're very watchable. They got a lot of guys who are fun to watch um, and they're performing well, you know, and I know that their performance has a lot to do with people tuning in. It has to do with a lot of people saying that they're fun to watch. I mean, it's like, obviously if a team's nine and three, they're fun to watch, you know, but I just think having some guys and just kind of some new blood in the organization um, and having this idea that it's us against the world is making this team a lot of fun to watch. Um, So looking at the schedule, you know, I know that we took a look at this last week, um, but it is curious to see that the Red Sox do, you know, play a couple of decent teams. You know, they do play Chicago. They have a two game set against Toronto. Um, They will play Seattle, the Mets, and then the Texas Rangers. Um, at the end of the month. So very curious to see how the Red Sox do against the Mets at the end of the month. You know, very curious to see how they do against the White Sox. Um, And obviously White Sox come in for the weekend series and, you know, Patriots Day is on Monday. Um, And the new uniforms, like Boston Marathon themed, I think are awesome. I think that they're really cool. I think it's a really neat idea uh, for the Red Sox to be thrown on those. So I believe that the Red Sox are playing with those on 
Sunday and on Monday. So uh, both of those, the after well, the Sunday game is the afternoon game. Um, on Monday, they are still having that 11 o'clock start. So that will be uh, wonderful to see that. And um, might not be a marathon this season, but the Red Sox still are a marathon during the season um, like there usually is. But the Red Sox will be able to play at 11 and... Um, I think that'll be wonderful. Um, and I think that one last note on the Red Sox. Um, and before we get to kind of news and notes, I'd be remiss in, you know, my duties as a Boston, you know, podcast to, you know, not talk about what today is um, and not talk about um, the events of eight years ago that really have changed a lot of us and um just it's just one of those things that it's kind of like makes you emotional just even thinking about it just thinking about the the events of that day eight years ago and just how horrific and tragic they were and the lives that we lost and the fact that this city was able to come back so strong you know and I think that that 2013, you know, that Red Sox team is going to be remembered forever. You know, like you'd remember that 04 team. Um, but 2013 just was such a special season, you know, and the Red Sox take the strength of this city and, you know, go win a World Series. And um, obviously, I think that... <laughs> There might be some parallels between 2013 and this season when you look at how the, the roster is constructed. But um, just, yeah, you know, we truly were Boston strong and still are to this day. And um, it just is something that is always on everyone's mind um, around this time of year. Um, and just, you know, that bond that everyone has with the city, you know, everyone that's that's from here, you know, knows how special, um, this time of year is, knows how special, you know, the marathon is because it's something that, you know, everyone knows someone that's doing it, you know, everyone is connected to it in some way. Um, and I think that it'll be wonderful if they can put the race on in, in October, you know, have to see how things, um, improve. But, um, I just thought that had to talk about, you know, what today is. Um, and I think, you know, if we move on to baseball and like what this date means in baseball history, you know, Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier in 1947 and, you know, what that has meant to Major League Baseball, but what that has meant to sports and, you know, truly sports is an inclusive thing that everyone kind of everyone it brings everyone together now i know that the inclusion of of all sports it's not perfect um and i know that it's not the level of representation is not where it should be and i think that um in certain sports it's very obvious but i just think to think about this date and to just kind of take a moment and think about you know how important this date is for Major League Baseball, how important this date is for um, so many different sports because Jackie Robinson really paved the way and, you know, made it possible for 
everyone to be feel like that they were you know included in sports now i know it's not perfect now but um just kind of a really important date for for baseball and for for everyone to think about um so i think as far as other baseball news you know there's not really a whole lot going on you know i think Taking a look at the standings, you know, I think that still we're early in the season, so it's hard to really take stock of, you know, teams' performances uh, with the Red Sox at 9-3, and three, I think, primarily. Um, you know, the Angels that are at 7-5, and five, but really no one in the American League is playing as well as the Red Sox are, and I think that that's great to see. Um, you know, in the, the National League East, the Mets are off to a good start. They're 5-3. and three. Um, the Dodgers are 10 and two and the San Francisco Giants are eight and four. So the Giants are playing pretty good baseball to start the season. Um, so, you know, we'll keep you updated on baseball. You know, I think that around the trade deadline, we'll probably have Eric back, uh, to talk about that. It'd be very interesting to see where certain teams are, um, at the, at that point in the season. Um, so I think, I think that probably does it for, for uh baseball you know i think as we talked about some guys with the red Sox that are you know performing really really well i think it's just great to see that you're getting production from varying levels you know you had christian arroyo who's like a new utility guy and he's been playing really well um and then bobby bobby dahlbeck had a number of big hits um in that i think it was that first game against the twins um in the series. And then the Red Sox obviously winning both of the doubleheader games yesterday. Um, the Red Sox will play the twins this afternoon at one ten. Um, so probably does it for baseball. We're going to move on to the NFL, taking a look at some news and notes from around the league. I think just in before we started recording, um, the Seahawks were signing Alden Smith, I believe. Um, but honestly, you know, really not a whole lot going on in the NFL world right now. I think that we're all waiting for um, the draft, which will come in a couple of weeks. I think it's two weeks uh, from from today. It's two weeks from today. Um, so I think definitely makes sense in the next few weeks, you know, for us to get into kind of doing a little bit of a mock draft. I'm not super comfortable doing a, you know, legit mock, mock draft for the podcast because um, I think... I, I don't know. I don't feel like I'm that good at doing that, you know, but we can try. We can give it a go. Um, I think that it would be fun. Um, but obviously you're going to hear a lot of rumors and such before then. You know, I think that um, Justin Fields had a workout the other day and the Patriots were one of the teams in attendance. So, you know, that will be very interesting to see what the quarterback situation is. Is it something that the Patriots look into in the first round? I think that it's not, I don't think necessarily that that's what they're going to do. You know, I think that it will be interesting to see if they trade up, if they choose not to. Um, Does that tell you that they're not going to draft a quarterback? You know, I don't know. I think that there definitely will be another team that looks to trade up and whether it's, or I, I I I should say it the other, I should say it another way. I think that there will be a team that trades up to get a quarterback specifically. I think that whether it's the Patriots, I think that that's a different question. You know, is it a team like Washington? I think that that's fair to ask. You know, I think Denver is also, you know, a fair team that 
you know, could possibly trade up um, into that, you know, top 10 or top eight or whatever, whatever you think it's going to be. I mean, obviously, I think the top three is set. You know, I think that we're pretty sure that Jaguars are going to take Trevor Lawrence. Pretty sure, pretty sure that the Jets are going to take Jack Will- Zach Wilson. Um, and then you have the third pick with the 49ers now. You know, initially, it sounded like they were pretty enamored with Mac Jones. Um, but I honestly wouldn't be surprised if they go went to get Justin Fields either. Um, so it could be very, very interesting. Um so I'll I'll be honest here for for a minute. Um, I think when I've talked about the NFL in the last few weeks, it's pretty clear that we're just talking about you know draft stuff, and there's not a whole lot. And I promise you, I am not forgetting the Deshaun Watson lawsuit. I promise you that I'm not forgetting it. Um, it just. I'll be honest, it's hard for me to talk about just because of some of the reports of what's happened, um, but it's it's impossible to not pay attention to what's happening right now, you know, with the multiple women that are, you know, now having to kind of publicly reveal their names uh, for this lawsuit, and... It's just, it's something that's, it's just hard for me to talk about. And that's why I have not said anything about it because I really don't know how to handle it exactly because the reports is some of the things are really shocking. You know, it's not something I want to right now talk about what, talk about that, but it's just, um, it's, I just, I really don't know how to approach it um, because I think that it's important that we believe women and we believe when there are reports of this type of stuff, but it's just, it's, it's hard for me to talk about on a sports podcast because it's not really a sports issue. I mean, it's an issue where it's like, okay, the person being, being um, accused is an NFL player, but it doesn't have anything to do with play on the field. And so, you know, that's why I felt like I didn't want to talk about it, but, um, it's not it's not really something that we should be ignoring. It's not really anything that anyone should be ignoring um, because it is a really important issue. And so I think that, you know, that's the only reason why I've not been talking about it. And, you know, I probably won't talk about it again, you know, unless there's any type of um, news that comes out from the NFL. But, you know, it just, it's something that just doesn't make me feel good. You know, shouldn't make anyone feel good. It shouldn't make anyone, should make everyone feel uncomfortable, you know. And it doesn't really even matter if this is, well, I don't really want to get into that exactly. But, you know, that's kind of where I'm at with with that situation. Um, So other than just some draft stuff, there's really not a lot of, you know, NFL stuff going on. You know, there is pretty big uh pretty pretty big news uh break <laughs> pretty big news drop uh the other day um when report came out that the patriots were um terminating julian edelman's contract and um you know and i think i talked about that report maybe it was last week or the week before that um it didn't really seem like he could make it through the season 
And um, I'll be honest, I kind of saw the writing on the wall. You know, I didn't want to say anything on the podcast because I didn't want to, you know, speculate or, you know, do any of that where, you know, get people scared and up in arms like, oh, my God, what what's going on? But I kind of had a feeling that something like this was coming and um, the Patriots terminate his contract. So I think they were able to by by doing that instead of cutting him or releasing him, you know, he was able to make a little bit more money. So kind of a classy move by the Patriots to do that, to not just outright cut him. Um, and work with him to terminate this contract. And then, you know, obviously hours later, he announced his retirement from the game, which, you know, is, it was, it was really hard for me to get through that video that he posted um, without tearing up a little bit and without thinking about, you know, how much he's meant to the Patriots franchise and how much he's, you know, meant to me and meant to all of us as Patriot fans and, you know, a guy who just counted out by so many people and, you know, performed at such an unbelievably high level in so many, you know, high-pressure situations. And, um, you know, what? I, I don't really want to have the Hall of Fame conversation. And to be perfectly honest, I don't really care. You know, you want to make an argument for him, against him, fine. But I just think, like, all that matters to me is that he's in the Patriots Hall of Fame and, you know, he'll be remembered as one of the greatest Patriots to ever play the game. And to me, that's all that matters. You know, I think that it's pretty, it's fairly obvious, you know, the Canton, the Pro Football Hall of Fame is, you know, pretty exclusive that not just anyone gets in there. Um, but it doesn't really matter to me. Like what he was able to do with the Patriots is all that matters to me. You know, what he was able to, um, you know, do through, you know, so many different injuries. You know, if you remember, he played in that AFC title game in 15 with a broken foot. You know, he was a guy that went through everything. And, you know, the bond between him and Tom Brady was something that was, you know, so special. And, you know, like a lot of people, there are some people that might look at that relationship and, you know, think about that, hey, I have a relationship like that in my life. And, you know, they're just our so many words you can use to to describe Julian and his impact uh, with the Patriots and, you know, just Boston sports in general. I mean, he was a guy that supported all the teams. You know, you remember when the Celtics were trying to convince Kevin Durant to come to the Celtics and Julian Edelman, you know, puts on a, puts on a jersey, you know, trying to convince him. And it's just like, this guy really is is Boston, you know, even though he's not from here, you know, he's from California, but, you know, a guy that just is everything Boston, you know, waving the, the banner before game seven of the Stanley Cup final a couple of years ago. Um, and just, you know, remembering all the ridiculous moments of his career, you know, the touchdown pass, the double pass against the Ravens, you know, one of the craziest plays I've ever seen in my life, you know. Not anything that you expected the Patriots to pull out of their bag of tricks, you know, in that game where it just was like, you know, there's no way that they can beat this Baltimore team. And then they pull that out and it's like, okay, there's no way that they're going to lose now, um, you know. And then you had that catch in the Super Bowl that, you know, something crazy like that does not happen if you're not going to win the game. You know, it was like the minute he makes that circus catch, you're like, there's no way that they're going to lose now, Um so just 
you know, I still laugh about that game because, you know, I was watching that game at Springfield College with two of my closest friends and, you know, just that game, just all the highs and lows, then he makes that catch and it just is like, wow, you know, never gives up, you know, and that really was the hallmark of Julian Edelman's career, just never give up and never, you know, be someone that quits. And, you know, that's what we respect so much about him. Um, and, you know, just oddly enough, you know, the Patriots are one of those franchises that, you know, take a look at value and see value in other places that other teams don't, you know, and any other team, Julian Edelman would have been a seventh round pick and maybe could have even been cut in his first season. But Bill Belichick saw something, you know, you saw the little clip of that NFL films um, in a preseason game where, uh, West, where uh, Bill Belichick's talking to Wes Welker. You know, and it just is like they saw something in him. They believed in him, you know, and here we are now. He's a three time Super Bowl champ, you know, arguably the best receiver in Patriots history and um, one of the best, if not the best, postseason receiver of all time, you know. So I just really appreciate everything he did and everything he did for, you know, the Patriots community, the New England community, the Jewish community. Um, and it just is really just can't say enough positive things about Julian and his impact. So definitely wish him well in retirement, you know, whatever it is that he chooses to do. Um, it'll be interesting to see if he um, maybe remains around the Patriots, you know, curious to see if he, you know, continues to be involved in the game of football in some aspect. Um, does he go into TV? I don't really see him doing that, but, you know, who knows? So um, Julian, wish you well in retirement, and uh, thanks for everything. So I think that probably does it for um, our NFL. That was the last little thing I wanted to talk about. So um, I'll kind of get into our other little miscellaneous stuff. Um, so first off, congratulations to the UMass Minutemen, uh, their first championship in school history that they won over the weekend, uh, beating St. Cloud State. So uh, big ups to them for that championship, just you know, a season that really was super difficult and really difficult for them, um, that they, you know, had some players missing um, in the semifinal, but were able to win the game in overtime and then had the guys come back for the championship and they get it done 5 nothing. So uh, congrats to them. You know, it's been a, been a long, arduous uh, two weeks for the state of Massachusetts without a championship. It's <laughs> so good on them, uh, you know. Boston Pride, the most recent championship team, you know, really was, really was a tough two weeks, you know, without a champion. So good on the Minutemen for uh, for a national championship. So uh, big congratulations to uh, Greg Carvel and the whole program over there. Um, so announced the other day that the WNBA is coming back in about a month. I believe May 14th will be the start date. Um, and the draft is tonight, the WNBA draft. So if you are into that, um, if you subscribe to The Athletic, and you totally should, you know, it's not a sponsor of my podcast, not yet at least, um, but if you do subscribe to it, you can definitely go read um, an article written by Chantel Jennings about six hours ago on The Athletic, a 2021 um, WNBA mock draft. So uh, Charlie Collier, most likely to be the number one overall pick from Texas. Um, some other names that might be drafted early in the uh, first couple picks, um, Ari McDonald from Arizona, Dana Evans from Louisville, 
a couple of names to keep your eye on um, in the opening couple of picks. It seems like the Dallas Wings have the first two picks in the draft um, and have three of the first five picks, so they definitely will have the opportunity to add some really good talent there. Um, but yeah, legal start May 14th. Draft is tonight on ESPN, I believe. So as we keep on moving with our stuff stuff all over the place, the Premier Lacrosse League, the PLL, announced the other day their season schedule. Um, so if you have not uh, paid attention to the PLL, it's a uh, traveling league that they go to um, one location and play a number of games um, over the span of about two days, and then they move to the next location. Um, so the league will be playing in Boston first at, well, I say Boston, but they're playing at Gillette. Gillette's not Boston. <laughs> Any of us who are from Massachusetts know that that's not true. Um, and then the league will go to Atlanta, then Baltimore, Long Island, New York, Minneapolis, San Jose, Colorado Springs, um, and Albany, New York, and then Salt Lake City, and then Philadelphia, Washington, D.C. I believe San Jose is the uh, all-star game. Um, so games in Boston, June 4th, the first start date, the Cannons and the Redwoods will play in their first game. Uh, so it is worth noting that the Cannons uh, do have Chris Hogan, former Patriots wide receiver. Uh, so that should be really interesting uh, to see. So definitely, if you're into lacrosse, definitely check out the PLL, which will be going every weekend, I believe it looks like, um, in the summer, June until the uh, championship on September 19th in D.C. So um, I think that this will really be an outstanding uh, product to watch if you're into lacrosse. Um, and so now to close it out, we'll talk some foot, football, soccer, or whatever you want to call it. Um, the Revolution are back on Saturday, their first game of the season. They had um, a number of preseason matches, um, had a couple against the LA Galaxy and their um, development team, and then they played two games against LAFC. So the Revolution with a couple wins, couple draws, um, and we'll get started against the Chicago Fire on Saturday. The game is at 8.30 in Chicago. Revolution will open the season next Saturday against DC United. So... The uh, broadcast, we did mention that it has changed, that the games will no longer be on NBC Sports Boston. They will be on CBS um, and my TV 38, if I'm not mistaken. You know, I could be totally not remembering that that's the right channel, but I'm pretty sure that's what it is. But um, that's what we got. And, you know, really excited for this revolution season. Um, I also do want to note that I will be putting out um, a new article about the revolution tomorrow, kind of a season preview. So don't want to go in depth too much because I think I wanted to leave that for the article. But um, I will just say, super excited for the season. Uh, revolution, obviously getting all the way to the Eastern Conference final last year against Columbus, really a surprise run. Um, but I really think that this team with a good start and, you know, hopefully there's no big lockdown that happens to second weekend of the season. Um, shouldn't really say that jokingly, but um, hopefully there's a better start, more continuity, and the Revolution can 
you know, get off to a hot start and not have to be, you know, playing meaningful, very meaningful games like the last game of the season. You know, hopefully they'll have a playoff spot by the time the last game of the season comes. Um, But I'm really excited. You know, I think that you have a team that I think is ready to compete and ready to compete at a high level. You have Matt Turner, who's one of the, if not the best goalie in the league right now. You have Carlos Heal, who is one of the, who's when healthy, one of the best players in Major League Soccer. You have Gustavo Bo, guys who, guy who is a proven goal scorer. You know, you have some really exciting young talent, um, and you have a great coach. You know, Bruce Arena, probably the greatest coach in Major League Soccer history. And uh, I don't want to sound too optimistic, but uh, there's a very good chance this team uh, could put together a championship season. Um, and maybe not the only team that puts together a championship season, if you catch my drift. Um, but, you know, really excited for their start. So we've got that article that will go out for you guys tomorrow. Uh, keep a lookout for that. So that probably does it for, for me this week. Um, you can listen on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts and Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. Uh, you can follow uh, the Twitter page at Not Boston. You can also follow us on Facebook. Um, so everyone enjoy the rest of your day. Have a good weekend and, uh, hopefully the Red Sox keep the winning streak going. All right, guys, we'll talk to you next time.